Um, but bread, I like snow. I think it's beautiful. I love to look at it from the window. Okay? I wish it snowed a foot. Mike was showing me pictures of his brother had sent him from northwestern Arkansas. And I wish, man, we could have looked out like that. My granddaughter would have loved it. We went out yesterday after the snow had finished. And there was a little bit of snow in the flower bed. And she reached down to pick it up. And the bottom of it had mud on it. She says, ooh. She wanted more snow. Anyway. Open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 1, as we continue in our series from Ephesians. Newspaper column, or excuse me, newspaper pioneer William Hurst collected an, uh, a great art collection. He spent millions of dollars finding the best pieces that he could find. And one day he heard about a valuable piece that he, he decided he really wanted, so he sent someone out to search all throughout Europe to find this piece. This guy was gone several months. He'd research and he'd cable back and say, well, I've got a lead on it here and I've got a lead on it there. And, and eventually he came back and he said, Mr. Hurst, I finally found that piece that you wanted, but you can't buy it because you've already got it in your warehouse. You already own it. Well, in Paul's letters, he wrote to the churches to talk to them, especially the church at Ephesus, he wanted them to know the things, the, the blessings that they already had in Christ. You see, because we are children of God, God has blessed us with rich blessings. And so he didn't ask that God show them what they didn't have, but that God would reveal to them what they already had in Christ. Now, the Ephesian church was founded by Paul. Uh, Paul went through there and he was teaching. He was there for a short time. Then he left and he said, I'll be back. And so when he came back, he stayed for two full years and he taught the church there in Ephesus. And he had to leave because he was too successful. You say, what? Well, if you read in, in and I didn't write the reference down, uh, about Acts 7, 16, 17, 18, somewhere along in there, Paul has been teaching for two years. And all of a sudden, the silversmiths start complaining. They got together and they had a, a two-hour uh, complaint time where all they said was great as, the Ar great as Artemis the Ephesians. What had happened was Paul had been so effective in sharing the gospel and, and teaching and the people began to take the gospel out that people were no longer buying the little idols that they made to Artemis or Diana. And because of this uprising, Paul had to leave the city. And so as he continued on in his ministry, he continued to hear about what God was doing there in the church at Ephesus. And so that's why we pick up in verse 15 when he says, since I heard. So let's stand in honor of God's word. And let's see what Paul has to say. Now remember last week I said that, that the, the passage that we read, verses 3 to, to 14, was one sentence of, of 202 words. Well, this is a shorter sentence. It's 173 words. Anyway, um, Paul says, This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of His calling, 
What is the wealth of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? According to the mighty working of His strength, He exercised this power in Christ by raising Him from the dead and seating Him at His right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. May God bless the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. Paul said, I've heard about you. I've heard about your faith. Of course, he knew them. But he's still hearing things. They continued doing what he told them them to do, what he taught them to do, and he heard about their love for the saints. And so he prayed for them because of their reputation. Now here's something a little extra, just want to throw in, but they had a reputation. Remember in, in Revelation, Paul wrote to that church about 30 years later, and they had a reputation then. Jesus says, this is what I've heard about you. You've left your first love. So they had a good reputation to start with, and then their reputation wasn't so good. What can we learn from that? This is just extra because it's before the outline, and so you, you can just say, okay, well, this is, just, this is sermon number 1A. We have a reputation as a church. I mean, it may be our reputation that people around us don't know anything about us. That's a reputation. It's not a good one, but it's our reputation. I would hope that our reputation is that people look at us, see that we're a people of faith, that, that we love the Lord, and we love people outside the church. But the warning that, that we see here back in, in Revelation is, if we don't remain faithful, we get off the path. So anyway, um, Paul begins with his prayer of thanksgiving. As I said, that's Sermon 1A. It's just extra. Um, and as I told the kids, Thanksgiving's not reserved for that one Thursday in thir- excuse me, that one Thursday in, in November. Thanksgiving should be a, a, a day that we have every year. We give thanks to God for all the blessings He pours out upon us. I mean, every one of you were blessed this morning. You were able to get out of bed. You were able to, to get up and around and chose to come to church. That's a blessing. We need to thank God for those. I thank God that I got a <laughs> on my door about 6:38 this morning. Not my front door, my bedroom door. And my little four-year-old granddaughter came in. She didn't say anything. I said, you want to come in, Savannah? She wasn't going to talk then. She wanted me to go in the living room with her because she had a tent in there. And she wanted to go in her tent. And she didn't want to be there by herself. But I thank God because I got to spend time with my granddaughter this morning. You know, there's a lot of things. We, we get so wrapped up in the things. I mean, what's been going on in our world since March of 2020? And a lot of people have gotten their eyes on mask mandates and vaccinations and and quarantines and worrying about positive test results. And and we get our eyes off the Lord. We need to continue to be thankful. Now, Paul was thankful. He said, I thank God. He didn't didn't thank God for a new chariot. I don't know how many places Paul went, but, but probably he walked every place. He wouldn't even thank God for new sandals. He didn't thank God for a cloud over his head as he walked. He thanked God for the faithful saints that he wrote to uh, because he heard about their faith. He was thankful for what God was doing in their lives. This is 1B, by the way, because we still haven't got the outline. But I got to thinking, 
in my prayer life, what am I thankful for? Do I, do I go beyond praying for my wife and my children and my grandchildren? And we all could say that. What is our prayer life? Does it go beyond just my family? Do we look around to see where God is at work? And we're thankful for that? And want to encourage them, want to be a part of it? Uh, again, like I said, that's, that's 1B because we're getting to the main message here. Paul had four things that he wanted the church to see. He said, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful that God's doing this. And this is what I want you to know. And this is yours. It's already in your life. I just want to remind you about it. And so I think it was important enough if Paul wrote it to the church at Ephesus that he wrote it to us as well. What does God want for us? And so there, these are things we already have. First, Paul prayed that they would know God better. Look at verse 17. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. I want to read it in, in the message. It's more of a, a, a common day uh, language. I ask the God of our Master Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing Him personally. Now that Greek word know means more than just to have a, a, a head knowledge. Like, like, how many of you know Abraham Lincoln? I mean, I don't know him. I know his nickname was Honest Abe. I know he wore a tall hat and he had a mole on his face and a scraggly beard. I know he was assassinated. I know that he didn't have much success running for office before he ran for president. He got defeated a lot of times. I know that he wrote on a, his school book on a shovel because he couldn't afford a slate. But I don't know him. Paul prayed that we know God personally. More than just knowing facts about him. You could ask a lot of people in the world, do you know God? Oh yeah, he lives up there. He's the man up there and he's, he's lives on the clouds and he has his angels. No, they don't know him. We need to know God. That word, Greek word, means to know him personally, have a relationship with him. And we get to know him by, by spending time with him. We study the word and, and we learn about him and, and we talk to him and, and we hear about him through the church and through other believers and our fellowship with him and with other believers. That Greek word means the fullness of knowledge acquired through relationship. One of the things that, that the staff and I do, and we started when, when Pastor Calvin first came here and I didn't know Pastor Calvin, was we started spending lunch together one day a week. And we still do. And I enjoy our, our times. And, and sometimes we don't get beyond talking about just what's going on in our lives. But I can say that I know my staff because we've spent that time together. To know God personally is called salvation. John 17, 3 says, This is eternal life that they may know you. To, not, to know God increasingly is called sanctification or being made more and more like Christ. Uh, Philippians 3.10 says, My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. Paul says, I want to know him. I want to know more and more and more about him because I want to become more and more and more like him. But one, way, one day we will know God perfectly. That's called the big word glorification, what we'll, we'll be like when we get to heaven. 
1 Corinthians 13, 9 says, For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. Then down in verse 12 says, I know in part, then I will fully know, then I will know fully as I am fully known. So Paul's praying, I want you to know God, and that's something that you already have. You have a relationship. He prayed that their relationship would mature, that they'd know more and more about him and his character and his nature so that it would affect them. And that's what I want for us. That's what I want for my life. Then Paul says in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. What, what does that mean? Well, people of that day understood the heart to be more than just emotions. You know, when we say, I love you with all my heart, we're just talking about our emotions. But for them, they understood it also meant the will. It also meant uh, intellect or seed of thought. So what Paul was saying was, I pray that you understand spiritual truths and apply it to your life. He not only wished that their hearts be right, but that their understanding be right. He wanted them to, to understand the truths that were a part of their life in Christ. And there are four of those, or three of those, the, their hope in Christ. We'll look at these, their, the power of Christ in them, and then how special they are to God. Paul says, I want you to know the hope. I want you to know the power of Christ. I want you to know how special you are to God. And so those were the, the next part. So the first Paul, thing Paul says is, I want you to know that you have a relationship with Christ. I want you to know him. I want you to know him fully. I want you to have a relationship with him that's, that's deep, more than just not, uh, facts about him. By the way, we all know lots of facts. I learned this week that penguins don't have teeth. Doesn't affect your life, does it? But knowing God should. And that's what Paul's saying. Yeah, I asked my, my, my pre-K. The second thing Paul says was that we wants us to know our glorious hope. Verse 18, he says, I pray your eyes may be opened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, which is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So I want you to know the hope of your calling. Now, in the scriptures, hope is not wishful thinking. It's not, I hope my team wins. It's not, I hope I get a new TV for fill in the blank. But it's something that's assured. It's something we can count on. Over and over in the scriptures, we're promised a place in heaven. Jesus says, I've gone to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'm coming again to receive you myself, that where I am, there you may be also. It's a hope. It's a promise. The old Israel was promised an inheritance on earth, the promised land. But the new Israel, the church, is promised an inheritance in heaven. And just like we receive Christ by faith, we know that we have eternal life and a place in heaven by faith. Some of you will get this illustration because uh, you remember the movies, but some of you may not. How many of you remember the movie Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? Any of remember some of those? That was the one where they were searching for the chalice of Christ or the cup of Christ, I think is what they called it in the movie. And, and they were searching for it because there was a, a belief, a, a tradition that whoever drank for it would have eternal life. Now, we know that's non-scriptural. Okay, let's just put that in our mind. But that's what the, the movie was about. And there was a subplot uh, 
Harrison Ford's character, Indiana Jones, his father got shot and he was about to die. And the chalice was on the other side of this chat chasm, this, this big old chasm, and they were in, in this cave and they couldn't get there. It was a great gulf. But they had read the books, they'd read the traditions and said, if you have faith, you can get there. And so Indiana Jones realized that if he was going to get there, he was going to have to have faith and step out into the chasm. And as he stepped out, there was a bridge. Fisher went on to point out that our faith is like that. It's not just enough to believe, but you put your, your whole weight into it. In other words, if we have a hope in eternity, it'll affect the way that we live. We'll live like we believe that we're headed to, toward heaven. Our hope in Christ should motivate us to live like Christ. It should encourage us to be pure and obedient and faithful. Well, Paul not only talked about our hope, he talked about the power. Now, the rest of the chapter, there, there are, or excuse me, the rest of our passage that we've, we've read, verses 19 to 23, talk about four different words that are translated power often in the New Testament. The first is the word dunamis. We get the word dynamite from it. Now, if I were to hold a stick of dynamite, is that power? No, it's not. Not unless until it's later it's got a blasting cap attached to it. It's potential power. power. And that's what dunamis means. It's potential power. power. It talks about God's capability or potential. It's what the Holy Spirit can do in our lives to transform us and make us like Christ and to work for Him. Dunamis is also resurrection power. The angel said, he is not here, he's alive because of the power of God to raise Jesus from the dead. And Paul says, that's the same work that's in us, the same power that's in work in us. It's potential because unless we yield to the Holy Spirit, unless we yield to the Lord, he won't work through us. So we've got to yield and then God can do it. But if we yield, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead can work in us. And that's what Paul says. The second word is the word, and I'm not sure how to say it, this in the Greek, energeia or energeia. We get the word energy from it. It means operational power. It's often translated work or working in the New Testament. Uh, and it always refers to God working. Philippians 2.13 has the work, this word in it, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Uh, as you look at verses 20 to 23, this is the word energeia. He exercised this power in Christ, raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand and subjecting everything under his feet there in verse 22. Um, God at work is what this power is. And then the last word is the word kratos. Excuse me. The, the third word is the word kratos. It means uh, uh, that there's, excuse me, let me read it. Uh, resistance and control. It means the might or strength of the Holy Spirit. Nobody can resist the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and then the last word is ikis, which means military power, bodily strength, or muscular power. It's power that can do what God, what man cannot do. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1.21 says, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what's preached. God can do that. 
But Paul is pointing out all that power is at work in us. And what can we do if, if we don't allow the Holy Spirit to, to work in us? It's like uh, Johnny Rockefeller, who was one of the, once one of the richest men in the world, maybe the richest in his day. For years, his diet was crackers and milk. Not because he was afraid to spend his money, but because he was so worried about his money that he had stomach problems all the time. He couldn't even sleep at night. Then something happened and changed his life, and he began to give his money away. And his health improved, and he lived to be an old man. When we live to, and surrender our lives to Christ daily, he works in us and through us, and what we cannot do on our own, God does in us and through us. The third uh, the final thing Paul talks about is God's inheritance. We saw this last week. Last week. We are his inheritance. Uh, God looks at us as his riches. He gets glory from, from what he invested in us. And he looks at you and he, he doesn't see our weaknesses. He sees our potential. How many of you remember Gideon? Back in the Old Testament, Gideon. Oftentimes we remember Gideon because we remember the fleece he placed before the Lord. God looked at Gideon and said, I want to make sure I get this right, the Lord is with you, valiant warrior. If I was a warrior, that's what I'd want to hear. The Lord's with you, valiant warrior. But you know where Gideon was when the Lord said that? He was hiding because he was afraid. He was hiding from the Midianites. And God didn't look and see a, a frightened man. He saw what he could do in him. And remember what Jesus called Peter? He says, you're a rock. And if you look at Peter's life, most of the time he was anything but a rock until the power of the Holy Spirit came upon him and God changed him. And then he was the rock that God saw in him. God looks at you and me and, and sees the potential he can have through us if we'll surrender our life to him. We're God's inheritance. I, I love 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, in it, God calls us his own possession. I love that word. The, the, green, the King James uses the word peculiar people, if you have, have the King James. But that doesn't mean we're strange. What that means is God values us when nobody else does. I've told you before that word means the treasure that a little boy might carry around in his pocket. Now, when our boys were little, Sandy always had to go through their pockets because you never knew what you were going to find. It might be a rock or dirt or dog food, or a dead animal, they're treasures. God looks at us and says, the world does not value you. For their mama, it was just trash. And that's maybe the way the world looks at us, but God says, you're my treasure, my special possession. And he sees in us what he can do in us. Paul reminds us that we've been bought with a price. Peter says we've been redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus as of a lamb unblemished, or God's special possession. We know him because we have a relationship with him, and we, he wants us to know him more and more and more. And as he knows us, he empowers us to do his work. As we surrender to him, he does more and more in us. We have a hope, an eternity in heaven that's reserved for us. We're his. And Paul says, for all these reasons, we can be thankful. Are you thankful today? Are you thankful for God and sees in you and does in you and wants to do in you? If you're not, I think Paul would say, hey, brother, hey, sister, you need to get your eyes on Jesus. You need to surrender. 
Remember I said the church at Ephesus, this church that Paul's writing to now, 30 years later, Jesus said, you've left your first love. If that's you, you need to remember from where you've fallen, return and repent. Do you have a thankful heart? Praise God for what he's done in you, for what he sees in you, for what he has for you. If not, repent. Maybe you're watching today on video and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Maybe you're going to listen to one of the podcasts later. Jesus can save you and change you and make you who you need to be. If you need to do that today, I encourage you to do that. If you're here today, you need to receive Christ, come forward. But if you're on the video, give us a call here at the church. Our phone numbers are on the webpage. Contact us by email. We want to help you to grow in Christ. Father, Father, help us to be thankful for what you've done in us, that we can know you and have an intimate relationship with you. And Father, I pray that as we know you, that it'll change us and make us what we need to be. Thank you, Father, for the hope we have, the eternity we have that you promised us. Thank you, Father, we're your special possession. Thank you, Lord, that because we're yours, you've empowered us, and you have the power to use us for your glory. Father, we praise you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand sing our invitation hymn. Oh, thank you.